Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Welcome to a new week, everybody. It is the first week of May. We are post-NFL draft. And so we are back with Walter Mitchell once again. This man is amazing. A great co-host of the podcast. Of course, we have amazing conversations. And of course, Walter Mitchell has a lot of fun stories from his 65 years of covering sports and being involved in sports and being a teacher and a football coach. So he's going to share some of his fun Mel Kuyper stories, his greatest gambling I should say his greatest gambling encounter it's a great story I really think you guys should wait all the way into it it's going to be probably around like the 26 minute mark but y'all have to hear this story about him and his gambling escapades back in college it's an amazing story we're also going to do some NFL analysis wow let's try that again NFL analysis not analysis NFL analysis Uh, That one's going to haunt me tonight, my dreams. Uh, NFL analysis. So we'll get to all that, but first I just wanted to talk general show announcements here. Uh, We are working on moving towards an extra podcast as part of our network uh, for the next couple weeks, and we're figuring out the scheduling with all this stuff. So for the next couple weeks, the Tuesday episode from the show is disappearing. So we are going from six days to five days. No shows on Tuesday for the next couple of weeks, and we are moving into some potential new work here. If you want some extra stuff, maybe on that Tuesday, check out our YouTube channel. The link to that is in the description of today's episode. Also, check out Walter's stuff. That link is in the description of today's episode. So if you want some Tuesday content, check out the YouTube. Uh, We're going to work towards figuring out a new schedule around this. Uh, Not much is going to change. We still have Wired Up on Sundays, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday episodes. Same schedule as before. There just won't be a Tuesday episode next week and this week. At least that is the plan. If something big breaking happens or we have an extra podcast tape, like an extra recording we did, that may change. But no Tuesday episode tomorrow. Um, and next week we plan on no Tuesday episode. So I hope I've driven that home a lot here. That's kind of just the big thing I wanted to point out. So that's the podcast news as we move forward. With that being said, let's welcome in Walter Mitchell of SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds for day number two 
of this NFL draft analysis, which today is less NFL draft analysis and just the fun, casual conversations that we always have that make Walter such an amazingly fascinating person. So without further ado, here is, as Walter would like to describe it, as you'll hear off the bat, the Young Rock and Walter Power Hour. I didn't say that right. Let's try that one more time. The Young Rock, Rock, and Walter Power Hour, as you would hear it said on like a radio show or whatever it might be, like one of these like cheesy sports radio from the 90s and 2000s intros. Maybe we'll make that in the near future. Near future. Wow, that one's going to haunt me too. Year future. Uh, Young Rock and the Young Rock and Walter Power Hour here on the Take It Easy Podcast. Cash, 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 cash. Support for the Take It Easy podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and today we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off, plus free shipping, when you use the code TIE, that's T-I-E, at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIE, T-I-E, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Good morning. Good evening, good afternoon, and good night. This is technically afternoon where you are, but it's a morning for me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a new dawn in the NFL. And how so is that? Everybody's zero zero. A lot of high hopes. A lot of teams encouraged by their drafts, and, and uh, other teams discouraged by their drafts. <laughs> well, really, because <laughs> you never know. I mean, like I was saying about draft grades, it's just absurd. I, I agree with you on that. And the thing that I find funny is that because the NFL is a year-round sport. We commit so much time for like six weeks to the draft process. And if you're a fan of a team, you're going to root for the guy no matter who they draft. So it's funny how much energy gets invested into this is a good pick or this would be a bad pick or this would be something we need. You're going to root for the guy no matter what. and You're going to give that guy a chance, even the Raiders who are pissed off that they took Alex Leatherwood. Right. I, I like Leatherwood. I think he's a fine pick. I, I don't, you know, if he's their guy, and like I was saying in the last podcast, you often have one chance to draft a guy that you like because of being 32 picks away from your next pick, the player you love is apt to go. And that's Especially it. in the first three rounds where there's about 100 prospects you know are better than the rest and then you've got like 200 to 500 is pretty subjective because there's not a ton of investment being made towards analyzing those players but so much is made towards analyzing the top 100 
you said the perfect word, subjective. I mean, so many of these tackle prospects this year, other than Penny Sewell, who I thought was a man amongst boys, um, and maybe Rashawn Slater uh, deserves to be up there, but, you know, we haven't seen him in a while. Um, basically, you could put their names in a hat and pull one out. You know, there were like seven or eight of them that I thought were worthy of first round, first round um, selections. And so, yeah, if you like one of them the best, you know what you want. Take them. One of my favorite stats, I'm glad you mentioned Rashawn Slater in there. One of my favorite stats is that more Northwestern players were drafted in the first round than Ohio State players this year, which I found hilarious coming out of the draft. And uh, the Dallas Cowboys took all defense with their first five picks in the draft, and then they only had one extra one where they took an offensive player. But – those two I found to be rather remarkable as fun stats coming out of the draft. I agree. That's why I have a new nickname for you. As a San Diego State alum, I'm going to liken you into maybe your most famous um, alum. And call Would that you be? Little, oh. <laughs> I'm going to call you Little Rock. Little Rock Ledbetter. Hmm. From Dwayne... The Rock. <laughs> yep. So now you're the Little Rock man. You're getting as famous as he is. So that's my new nickname for you. Much, much slower, but yes, I, I, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke in there when you said the most famous San Diego State alumni. And I was gonna say, would that be NCAA all-time leading rusher Danell Pumphrey Jr.? <laughs> no, I was not thinking. <laughs> Or Rashad Penny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, or um, what's who's the quarterback you guys used to have? Ryan Lindley? We can throw Ryan Lindley in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Cardinal fans would have a, you know, a feast with that one. Yeah, San Diego yeah. State's original OG quarterback. <laughs> yeah. But to your point, it was interesting to see the Cowboys talk about, you know, overreaction. Using every pick on defense to make yeah, a statement, um, you know, but they their picks were excellent. You know, I, they're gonna they're gonna be interesting to watch this year. I got in that. Who knows what's gonna happen NFC East? Yeah, I think the the one thing I can confirm is that the Eagles will finish last, and everything else is kind of a crapshoot at this point. So. The, the well, NFC typically, typically here's here again is where you and I can disagree a little bit. I think the Eagles are going to surprise, and I love that they got Devonta Smith um, to go with with Jalen Hurts. That's I don't know. Have we talked? Have we talked much Jalen Hurts before? Because I know I've talked about how we need a larger sample size on Jalen Hurts, but also you know coming out of the draft, no one really thought, hey, this guy can be a a future starting quarterback in the league. He was more of a second round, third round, day two pick that the Eagles got in the middle of the second round. And so I, I'm willing to like wait and see on the sample size with Jalen Hurts and give him some time to be a starting quarterback, or at least disprove that he is, you know, he's probably a backup who's playing for a bad team. One of the two will probably come true. All right. Well, I thought he was, highly underrated when he came out of Oklahoma. I mean, he had a season 
very similar statistics-wise to Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Um, he was a Heisman candidate. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, the thing I love about Jalen Hurts is as much as I love the talent as a player, I think um, he is a outstanding, has outstanding character um, and toughness, mental, physical toughness. And that combination of talent with that kind of comportment and and drive and determination and resiliency. I mean, here's a guy who gets knocked down and out and pounces back up. I, I think, you know, I, I really like him. I think he could be very, very good, very strong. I mean, you know, Dak Prescott was what, a third rounder mm-hmm. or a fourth <laughs> rounder actually, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prescott's kind of like the exception that proves the rule a little bit. Because, like, everyone missed on Dak Prescott. That was like everyone just didn't recognize what they had in Dak Prescott. Yeah, and I think Jalen Hurts has as much talent as Dak Prescott. I don't see why he can't play the way that Dak does. Now, Dak's a little thicker, lower body, um, or has gotten that way in the pros now. Um and, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to be like Kyler Murray, you know, um, hitting the weights every offseason and, and bulking himself up a little bit. Um, but, uh, I mean, Hurts is even more mobile than Dak. And Hurts also, once he got to Oklahoma, his, his accuracy issues got ironed out by Lincoln Riley. I was about to say the exact same thing because Jalen Hurts goes from – being inaccurate at Alabama, and that was kind of a knock on him and why they replaced him with Tua was that, you know, he threw nine interceptions his freshman season, never had a season higher than like, a, I think, a 62% completion percentage. Um, and that was the reason why they, they people thought, despite having a 28-4 and four record at Alabama, that Jalen Hurts wasn't going to get drafted or at the very least would be like a fifth or a sixth round pick was because he was – not super strong-armed, and he was pretty inaccurate throwing the football. And a lot of that got ironed out in Oklahoma, and that's why, you know, he jumped from a fifth-rounder to a second- and third-rounder, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that in time he may make his case that he should have been a first-rounder. I thought he acquitted himself very well as a rookie. Um, He had led him to that excellent upset win over the Saints, and when the Saints were blistering hot. But also had Jason Hill at quarterback. Yeah, but they weren't missing, skipping a beat at that point with him. Until yeah, that... I agree. I agree. <laughs> so I think that NFC East is, you know, a, a crapshoot right now. I think all four teams, it's going to depend on who can stay healthiest. Um. You know, all four teams have improvement areas, big improvement areas to make. I mean, uh, you know, the Giants getting Kadarius Tony, I thought was awesome. Um, even though I guess some Giants fans were not happy with it. Well, I, was, I found it funny because Kadarius Tony, very few people had Kadarius Tony going as high as he was. But like your point, he wasn't going to fall to pick 50 in the draft. But. 
I found it interesting because the Giants traded down and Trey Gettleman was getting his nickname after the draft because he traded down twice in the first two rounds and now right. has 10, 10 draft picks in next year's draft for the Giants. Right. And that could be very useful in the event that Daniel Jones doesn't look very good next year and you need to get a new quarterback. Um, the Giants are in this interesting place where they – are supposed to be good. This The reason the NFC East is as bad as it is right now, we're like back-to-back years, you've had like a 7-9 and nine and an 8-8 eight and eight team win the division, is because the Giants were supposed to fill the void of the Cowboys fell to about 8-8 eight and eight purgatory, the Eagles window closed, Washington went through a rebuild. The Giants were supposed to fill that void, but the Giants just messed up on all their draft picks over the last few years that – Despite all the talent they had in the draft picks, they still couldn't put it together in any kind of winning season. So maybe this is the Giants' time to win 11 or 12 games, but I still think that they lack a good bit of talent across the board. Yeah, all four teams do. There's There, there are Achilles heels there on all four teams. I mean, the Redskins have the best defense in the in the division. Probably by a long shot. I think and, that I think last year Washington was four and the Giants were thirteen or fourteen, and that's a pretty big yeah. goal. It is, and then um, but then their quarterback situation is in limbo with Fitz, who probably is going to be fine for them. At I least imagine. an upgrade compared to Alex Smith. I will say that it is an upgrade versus Alex Smith. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, we didn't. I mean, Alex Smith went three and zero, right? He went three and zero, but Alex Smith's average yards per pass attempt was two point nine last year. <laughs> he yeah, averaged but... two point nine yards in the air, not completions. Like two point nine yards traveled in the air per pass attempt, or per. But who cares? Attempt. Who cares if you win? Uh, I I attest that those are factors outside of Alex Smith. That Alex Smith was a backup level quarterback that was playing and good enough to go seven and nine and make the playoffs. And then they turned it over to Heineke who, you know, Heineke is a backup. They, they paid him to be a backup. He'll be the backup quarterback for them. Yeah. We'll see. Cause uh, it's magic has to stay healthy and Heineke's got some legend to him now already. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, but there's no, that situation isn't stable. Um, you know, might be okay in the short term, might get them to nine and seven. It reminds me of last year's Dolphins team. This year, this year's Washington reminds me of last year's Dolphins team, like a, a seven or eight win team on paper that could end up winning nine or 10 in real life. Yeah. Well, but except that last year's Dolphins team had Tua, um, and the Redskins don't have really any young quarterback. Um, they're going to put in. Yeah, I think it's going to be 16 games of Fitzmagic instead of eight games of Fitzmagic. I think so, you know, or or they might put Tyler in there if if and when they need to. But, yeah, I mean, their defense is going to keep them in every game. So they're going to be in tight games and, um, and Fitzmagic at times can be very clutch. So, you know, they might I would say of all the four teams, I would give them, because of their defense, 
the odds of winning the division. Um, and then the other three, I think, are so even. I, I think the Cowboys are tremendously overrated. Really? Yes. So what do you think the Cowboys will end up? Do you think the Cowboys could, you know, fall into the top 10 kind of thing again next year? Or because I think that the Cowboys with a healthy Dak are just guaranteed to be eight and eight. Like they're just in, they're trying to spend a bunch of money to keep the core of their team together, but it's not going to be good enough to win more than like eight games. I don't know. I, I, I think it could go either way because if their offense can get back to a near semblance of what they were doing before um, Dak got hurt last year, then they're going to be in a lot of games. The defense is, you know, yeah, they drafted all these rookies, but let's just remember they're rookies. And you subtract Jadobe Awuzie over the offseason and, you know, Jalen Smith battles injuries and Sean Lee retires. So Correct. <laughs> One one of the my my favorite graphic from the season last year was when the Cowboys were playing Thursday night football. I can't remember who they were playing that week, but they were playing Thursday night football, and they put up the graphics with the starting lineups, and it said pass defense thirty two, rush defense thirty two, scoring defense thirty one. I thought that's unbelievable that you right. can be that bad defensively. And it's not like they got that much better in free agency either. Like, sure, you get Gerald McCoy healthy, but you subtract some other guys across that defense that they didn't really replace, other than, like, DeMonte Casey, SDSU, Aztec fight coming into play safety. <laughs> I love that kid, um, if he can stay healthy. There are a lot of ifs there. The thing is, and you and I have discussed this before, is – if they get off to a slow start and are struggling again, they may fold on McCarthy. Oh, I agree 100% with that. 100%. I think that he – McCarthy very clearly looks like a, a like Stone Age archaic coach who has – he's kind of being like evolved out of the game. Is that Mike McCarthy hasn't necessarily adapted as much since he was the revolutionary offensive coordinator with the San Francisco 49ers. And now we're starting to see the results of that. And Mike McCarthy is not, was never the sexy hire at the time, but now it's starting to look like just a little bit of apathy in Dallas at this point around McCarthy and, the same core of players running it back again and again, even though they've gone, you know, I think what nine, 10 and six, eight and eight and six and 10 over the last three seasons. So that's 24 and 24 over the last three seasons. And they're just running back the same core of guys because they paid everyone. Zeke, the highest paid running back, Amari, the second highest paid wide receiver and Dak now the highest paid quarterback and Demarcus Lawrence, like top five highest paid edge rusher. They just keep running the same team back at this point. Yeah, I think that in retrospect, if this, you know, is a short hook for McCarthy, it'll make it all the more painful that they didn't make a push for Ron Rivera. Yep. Or even Marvin Lewis. Like, he was in contention for the job. At least maybe it, maybe it was just a Rooney rule hire thing. But, I mean, Marvin Lewis would have been a great hire for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, well, speaking of Rooney rule, I mean, do you see the Cowboys draft room? Yeah, <laughs> I made a great, uh, I thought it was a great joke about this, that uh, 
the draft room looks like what happens when you die and they're deciding whether you go to hell or heaven. Like this is the room that you see is uh, just all of these old white guys with their tablets, just making these decisions in like a 1970s movie. <laughs> it is. It was, you know, blindingly white. And, um, it's just kind of like, wow. I, yeah. I, I, I feel like in some ways, that's the issue with the Cowboys. I think they're, you know, the times have passed them by a little. The Falcons actually saved my, this is, let's digress for a second. This is a, this is a, a cautionary tale for those who, uh, who are into, you know, um, gambling on football games. When I was a senior at Boston College, um, I was living in a house uh, with nine other um, BC students. We were at this great house, and the Boston Marathon went by there. In fact, on Marathon Day, we always had a party, and people would pull over. And one one time, a limo pulled up, and Paul Newman walks out um, <laughs> and uh, said, "Is that are those light refreshments?" We said, "Yes." He said, "May I partake?" We said, "Absolutely." And uh, we had a blast with him. He said his wife, Joanna Woodward, was in downtown doing a marathon film. And he was just left circling around in a limo. We said, we're, we're happy to adopt you. And uh, but <laughs> so. So anyway, we had these. I don't even know who these two guys were. They came in every week and they were like tipsters. Um, they gave you gave us can't miss game in college football every week and that was a year where the Yankees were were uh were Reggie Jackson was really hot and the Yankees were were blistering their way towards a um, a world championship in baseball so two of my buddies in the house um were betting on the Yankees all through their stretch drive and then they had this ringer couple of guys who would give them the college football Pick of the day, um, pick of the week, sure bet thing. So suddenly, my two friends are like both have new cars, <laughs> new cars. We have brand new TVs in their rooms. They are like have like a money wad, you know, six inches deep in their pockets. I mean, they were winning left and right, and every week in college football, they were winning huge sums of money for betting this game of the week. You know? So I'll never forget it. They came in. So now I'm like, I got to get a piece of that action. Now, mind you, I was working to pay my rent there at a restaurant 35 hours a week while going to BC full time. And I had no money to my, I had no backup money and nothing in the bank. I was just living check to check. And, um, but I thought, you know, geez. So like an idiot, or, you know, I bet it was take the points in Clemson over South Carolina. So, um, <clears throat> so like an idiot, Kyle, I bet $500. Ooh. In, 1970s <laughs> terms, in 1970s broke college student terms, that's crazy. <laughs> That was absolutely insane, okay? So, because, and yes, it was about 
it was about the equivalent of five thousand dollars now. So, um, and I had, didn't have a penny to my name, but they were winning every week. It was they were like, Mitch, it's a surefire thing. Get in on this, and they were all betting five hundred. So, I thought, all right, let me get in on this. So I got in on it, and uh, at halftime. Clemson was routing South Carolina. And so my friends all went out and bought like four kegs to have a house party that night. You know, everyone's psyched because we're going to win handsomely. And I was like, these guys are amazing. Only in the second half, South Carolina makes a big comeback. You can just know this story already. And they end up um, spoiling the whole, the whole bet. Winning by like two points, winning the spread by two points, and sending me into a total panic mode because by Monday morning, Rock, Rocco and Moose are going to show up at my door. Okay, so <laughs> hey, Rocco, Moose, show Mitch where to find his checkbook. You know, so and my checkbook. I mean, talk about bounce up and hit you in the face. So the only recourse I had. Kyle was to bet on the pro games the next day. And what you could do back then was do it. You could bet two out of three games with the spread. And if you won two out of three, you could win. So I I decided, all right, now, like an idiot, I didn't think of the game times. So um, I picked the Falcons and 49ers, which was in San Francisco. So, you know, that was the late game. The two early games I split. So now, I know. So now it's, and I went double or nothing. So $500 down on this. Well, with, you know, I know I was going to lose because the, the 49ers had everything, had the spread covered. And had the whole game, and I'm like, oh my god, because the Falcons were they were getting 31 points. I figured, <laughs> you know, I mean, they got to do so. You know, they they're going to cover 31 points. Well, that doesn't even exist anymore because NFL team. I'm guessing the Falcons were like an expansion team around that time. I know they came in the league in the early 70s, but. I imagine that that's like an expansion team just going up against the 49ers and just, yeah, you've got no chance in that one. It but just was one of the, you know, it's back in the 49ers heyday. You know, they had Joe Montana and whatever. I mean, they, they were just loaded and the Falcons were, you know, had a rookie quarterback or whatever. But um, so the, the 49ers were up 35 points with on the last play. And the Falcons throw a Hail Mary. And I'm just like holding my breath. Billy White Shoes Johnson of the Falcons catches the ball on the three-yard line and dives in for the touchdown. And the Falcons cover the spread. And I'm that is saved. Legendary I, I am saved from having to meet Rocco and Moose. And, and then you know, owe them double. <laughs> and owe them a thousand times over. So here's what I learned from that situation. To this day, I don't even bet the lottery. I just was just like, you know, like when um, 
I lost a bunch of money on my 401k, as so many of us did back on the crash. But now in my, you know, now I don't even do the stocks because it would just drive me nuts. I just do the safest e-bonds possible. You know, um, I'm just not going to gamble. I learned my lesson, Kyle, put it that way. Yeah, and I... I have this interesting relationship with gambling at this point because I myself don't gamble, but I also know a lot about how gambling works because I recognize that in 10 years, like this is the new standard of being an analyst and being in sports is that gambling is just now they're, they're opening, you know, that you can place bets at stadiums now and right. legalized gambling within the next six years will be available in all 50 states. And so... I myself don't necessarily put my own money into it, but I, you know, I will, I'll say, I'll give five picks going into every weekend of the NFL season. And I'll talk about this team as a lock against X team in college football and see how you end up. Cause I usually end up around 54, 55%, like not great, but I know enough about sports to, to get over 50%. Yeah, you um, definitely do. Yeah. I just know enough to be like, Hey, why are the Panthers favored by two points? And why is like 80% of the money going on the Panthers? Well, then you should probably bet the other way on that one if Vegas is giving you all those points and everyone's betting on them. So, I, I mean, little things like that I know about, but I myself, I think the last bet I placed was uh, Milwaukee and Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago. And it, it was a 2-0 series at that point. So I said, look, Toronto's going to win the game no matter what. Like, they're down 2-0 to Milwaukee. It's going back to Toronto. They're going to win no matter what. And I think this spread was like four and a half points. And then it, the game ends. I also, like, just turned 18 is the other thing here. I just turned 18 so I could start making bets on, like, weird websites. But anyways, <laughs> so... It's four and a half for Toronto and the game goes to overtime and then the game goes to double overtime oh, and then the game goes to triple overtime. Oh my God. Dying watching this. Exactly. And not even caring who wins. I love Kawhi Leonard because he's, you know, SDSU Aztecs fight, but it's just painful. And then ultimately Toronto wins by like 11 in the third overtime, but I win it, but I'm like, I don't know if I like this experience. This was not that enjoyable. It was just a very stressful, very stressful half hour to 45 minutes. I don't know if the high of this is like worth the enjoyment of sports at this point. <laughs> exactly. And I found too, even if you do like a, like you'd have a, um, you know, I'd sometimes when I was teaching school, we'd have little pools on, betting pools on like the masters and like the super bowl and oh yeah i guess i put money into fantasy football every year i guess that technically counts right and then march madness you know we do brackets but i found it took such the enjoyment out of watching march madness because you know suddenly you know i love watching these underdogs win that's oh, one of the too. great joys of that tournament and then but if you were if you didn't pick them, you'd be rooting for the favorite. On betonline.com, you could you could bet this draft on 
over-unders on where guys were picked. Oh, of course. There, you could bet on pretty much you know? everything there. You could bet over-unders on picks. You could bet at plus 300 that <laughs> Justin Fields would be the pick at number four. You could bet that, you know, Trey Lance is going to be there. Because if people are going to watch it, and I think – the NFL draft, it was the second highest rated NFL draft only behind last year. But it was, I mean, it's, it, I think almost doubled viewership on the Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. I think the NFL draft nearly doubled viewership on the Oscars. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised because the Oscars were way down this year. Um, but football still played and people are as avid about it as ever. And yeah, I think. The draft last year brought a lot of people back into the fold. And, um, you know, I have to commend uh, the commissioner. Um, You know, I mean, I'm not a big fan of doing it in three days, but I'm not the one making the call and they, they are. And, but the commissioner and the, and ESPN and NFL network, all do an amazing job of coordinating this thing. And, uh, you know, like the Cardinals had two six round picks, two seven round picks yesterday. And during the course of three days, they highlighted every one of the Cardinals picks mm-hmm. on ESPN that I watched. And, you know, um, that's saying, I mean, they have prospect reels lined up for guys who weren't drafted. I mean, they just have this library of, of videos, highlight videos that the minute a player is drafted, they can push the button and here you have it. And, you know, Mel and Todd and all the guys, uh, you know, um, on the set can chime in their, you know, their analyses and, you know, they don't miss a beat. And I, 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 and the, the legwork that goes in that into that. I mean, to hear Todd McShay talk for five minutes about a an obscure offensive tackle taken in the seventh round, which no, most people never knew even existed, is it's a work of art. Um, I've noticed the same thing with our guy. I'm going to shout out Blake Jude a little bit because he was coming on all the time for the draft. Is that we could play random games? I just name a prospect deep down his list, and he could give you two, three minutes on that random prospect. If it's, you know, Kendrick Green, the fifth-round pick, or Sage Surratt, the sixth-round pick, like, he could right. nail all of them. And it's 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 a nerdiness to football that not even I have in terms of being just a football nerd. Even I don't have the, the, the love of analyzing prospects to that degree. Like, you could play prospect or no prospect with me, and I could get maybe 50% right just because I'm guessing on whether that's an actual prospect or not. Right. But, I, I knew enough about the top first two days of the draft to analyze it. And the thing I found interesting about Instagram content, the NFL draft does better than the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl is like an event everyone's watching, but it's only so relatable over these days. Like everyone gets interested in the draft and everyone is involved in it. And it does more engagement during draft week than it does with the Super Bowl the last two years. And I, I can't believe just what it's become in my lifetime. And I know for sure. you, the draft used to be like Saturday was the first day and Sunday was the second day. And right. that would be the whole draft. And now 
I, I've never known anything other than the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but I know that that used to just be a nerdy thing that I enjoyed watching. It wasn't something that everyone got up for like it's been the last few years. Yeah, and boy, back in the day, I mean, I'll tell you, tell you I mean, back before it was really telecast, um, you know, you had to uh, read it in the newspaper um you know we didn't have twitter we didn't have internet we didn't have you were relying on news sources and uh one year i was so starved for now we we did have draft guides because um a guy named joel bushbaum was awesome pro football weekly out of new york he was he put out guides for years and he was amazing and what he he was the first analyst that truly broke players down for positives and negatives, um, and then Mel Kuyper, of course, came along and did his blue books and our lads, you know. So you bought all these, you know, um, the blue books and stuff like that. So one year, the Cardinals drafted like three guys I'd never heard of, um, and out of desperation, I called the front office and asked to speak. I identified myself as a reporter for the Boston Herald. <laughs> Total lot, and said I, I, I'm doing yeah, for an article. Yeah, those who don't know, he was a uh, he was a teacher at that time, not a reporter. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, and, and I, you know, lying through my teeth, and I said uh, I was writing an article on the NFC East, which the Cardinals were in back then, with the Cowboys and Redskins and Eagles and Giants. And um, I said, it, and I wanted to get the um, the GM's, you know, uh, thoughts on the Cardinals draft. So they said, they put me on hold. And next thing I know, hello, this is George Boone. I said, the George Boone? He says, yes. Who is this? I said, Walter Mitchell of Boston Herald. He goes, oh, hi, Walter. What do you, what would you like to know? I'm online on a Monday after the Sunday. <laughs> I'm on the phone line with George Boone, the GM of the Cardinals. Yeah, now there's the press conferences before, the day of, and the day oh after. My, <laughs> oh, my God, Kyle. I mean, he was so nice, and he spent a half an hour with me going through each pick and how they, you know, what they thought about him and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, the best possible insight imaginable you know i didn't need to read it in a paper or, you know and i thanked him profusely and he like make sure you send me the article <laughs> i said absolutely <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> and oh what that was just a thrill just, you know and back in the early days too i uh i used to call mel kuyper several times and he'd always talk um, <laughs> back in back in the early '80s, I'm guessing when he was yeah just getting on to ESPN, right? And he was selling his blue books, and you know I'd always ask him. So you know, as a Cardinals fan, you know, if you were the Cardinals, who would you pick? And he'd tell me, and um, you know, they were brief conversation. Mel wouldn't stay on for very long, maybe five or ten minutes, but you know, he was happy to have me as a subscribe annual subscriber and he would he would give anyone it was back in the days where he just 
put his own phone number in the in the blue books and you could call and and order the usually he had a secretary taking the orders but sometimes when he didn't have a secretary on duty he'd pick up and then you're like hey mel and he was always really nice um and he used to do an amazing thing was in the blue book back of the blue books he broke every roster down of every, all 32 teams. Or 26 or whatever it was. Yeah. And, oh, it was, it was worth the $15 or whatever it was back then just to get that because, you know, and, and by position and everything. And then that's where then he would write captions about their draft needs, where what positions – that were weaker than others and and projections on what they would need to do in the draft. Well, about seven or eight years after doing that, then he he decided that in the regular blue book, it would just be for the write-ups on the prospects. And then he'd write a supplementary. Um, like you know, roster. Yeah. Yes, that included the roster thing for an extra $15. And uh, so now it was like, you know, and you could buy the package for like the two of them together for like $30 or something like that. And I'm, so I called him and I was like, you know, dude, I mean, I was buying your blue books as much for these rosters. You know, can't you just go back to, he said, you know, he, he said, listen, I, I really can't do it all in one package, any, in one volume anymore because it's just too much work. So what I do is get the prospects out first and then and get the, the blue book out, and then I'll break down all the rosters and do the roster needs and all that. So it made sense to me, and I still ended up buying them. That's interesting. So you were back at the original Mel Kuyper Blue Books. Because for people who don't know, like, if you want a really good thought of this, there's a, uh, a good documentary on the 1983 three draft, the John Elway draft, where oh, it was yeah. the first year that ESPN had televised the draft. And it was the first, they just, there's a great story about it, that they just found this guy and they were like, hey, and this is like year three or four of ESPN. And they sure. say, hey, there's this guy in Maryland. He's written up these books on the draft. And they're like, why don't we just put him on the air and let him talk about it? And that would be Mel Kuyper. And then, you know, 38 years later, he's still doing the drafts for ESPN at, you know, 60 some odd years old. It's, it's an interesting story because the entire industry where now there's like 15 Mel Kuypers and 100 in waiting, like all of that began from – ESPN being able to take the risk of putting the draft on the air and now creating a $4 billion road show that goes to every major city in America to host the draft. Yes. And you know, now what I do because of that is every time the draft starts to tick me off a little bit, like I see, think at times they forget who the draft is really supposed to be all about. And they forget what the fans really want. And there's a certain pageantry to the draft that, like, you know, one of their guest speakers would get up there and talk for ten, five minutes before d announcing the pick. 
Um, you know, that's agonizing for fans. Um, you know, um, interview them off camera later, but let's just get to the pick. But And the old, you know, they always do a commercial before your team, you know, pick is in and, oh, let's go to commercial break. He was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, but, but I re- now have to pinch myself, and I'm glad I'm doing this, to say, to tell myself to shut up because, you know, think of what it was like in the old days. You should be just grateful that they do it and you have, you can see it and you can, you can even tape it and watch it later if you wanted to. But, you know, you have this incredible viewer opportunity to see the draft as it happens in real time and, you know, to soak it all in. And hey, it's, it's, it's a spectacular three days for football fans and brings such hope. And, but, you know, and you, you have the human interest stories that are so compelling, you know, like Quiddy Pay. Um, you know, the, his mother is a Nigerian refugee uh, of Liberia, uh, Liberian, excuse me, refugee who lost her dad, the militants who burned down his, his uh, house with him in it sleeping. And uh, just an unbelievable story. And they wound up in the projects in Providence, Rhode Island, with her working four jobs. And, you know, you just feel for people like this. And it, it really is a manifestation of, if you want to call it an American dream, um, which is a sort of dubious term, I think, in certain respects, but it, it is a perfect way to describe, you know, the old, you know, if you've got the right thing at the right time at the right place in America, you know, regardless of where you come from, you know, you can make something of yourself, um, make a career out of something that you love to do and, and be compensated handsomely for it. And, um, it's just such a dream come true to watch these young men, you know, like my Cardinals pick, Zayvon Collins, involved like a baby after, you know, while the Cardinals were on the phone. And I loved it. I mean, you know, here's a kid who was, who had no power conference offers coming out of high school. It was from a little tiny town in Oklahoma. And the Cardinals uh, owner, who Michael Bidwell, who owns a jet plane of his own, um, Rise Up Red Sea, which is under the wings, um, picked picked Saban up in, in Oklahoma and then made a special trip to go let him see an aerial view of his hometown. Um, <laughs> right over his hometown so he could see his old football stadium and high school and his whole old house. And um, I mean, that's like Willy Wonka esque right there. That story sounds like Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, that's just so awesome that, you know, when you, you, you get the, the, the human interest level of these, of so many of these stories, um, your life stories of, you know, and you can see why they get so emotional when their name is called. And, um, and their families get so emotional. And, you know, I'm just really, really delighted that Saving Collins' mom won't have to work four, four jobs anymore. Or, or Quiddy Pay's yeah. mom, right. 
excuse me, actually, um, Zayvon Collins' mom's, I think, pretty doing okay for herself. Um, I don't think she works four jobs, but. And this is the different part. Of, this is a different part about the draft than it used to be before. Because I heard the story this week with the draft is that when Joe Thomas was getting drafted, which, by the way, Joe Thomas, perfect example of just guy destined for greatness that he's going to make the Hall of Fame with all those Browns teams. But Joe Thomas went fishing with his dad on draft day, and he was like the number three pick in the draft or two right. pick in the draft, and he was right. just like. Like people, this didn't used to be a thing. It used to be a pride thing, like a graduation ceremony. But uh, there's not really you're not celebrating with your teammates because a lot of your teammates have their own draft parties, and it's a lot of like your parents and your uncles and your cousins and your parents' friends and this whole like celebration, kind of like a graduation ceremony. Even for like sixth and seventh round picks, like that's becoming a new thing now. Is getting drafted is accomplishment in and of itself. Which is cool. Yeah. Like that's the only thing I've ever known in terms of the draft. That story about Joe Thomas is legendary, and I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I have total respect for like Trevor Lawrence who wanted to stay home with his family and enjoy it in the intimacy of his family and with the intimate, you know, surroundings with his family and friends. I think that's awesome. I and I also respect the guys who wanted to go and be in the green room and. I just wish they didn't have to make the walk from the green room to a uh, to the podium a like half marathon. Well, that was just for social distancing purposes <laughs> this year. <laughs> oh no, it's been that way a while. Oh, I no. remember Daniel Jones. It was kind of the same thing. It's just like, yeah, it's not necessarily backstage. It's like back backstage is where they set all that. Yeah, up. it's like running the gauntlet. Only you know. A lot of it's tunnel for about, you know, three minutes. Which is uh, funny because they set up the draft stage itself. Like, they could theoretically make it closer. It's all just a temporary draft stage. It's not like they're using an amphitheater or something. Exactly. And Well, it, other venues, that's why they're changing the venues. So, it, 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 the green room in New York was always closer. Yes, but they realize now that you can take the draft on a road trip, and now, right. like with the Super Bowl, cities will bid for the NFL draft, and they will yeah. pay the NFL for the right to host the NFL draft. And all of a sudden, I love it. I love the idea that it's now just a traveling tour instead of always at the Radio City Music Hall. But, I mean, I if not for the pandemic, I would love to go to one of these drafts. I would love to be one of those people in Nashville a couple of years ago when that epic draft was going on. Like, that see, this seems like it's an awesome experience to have, and also to be the guy dressed in a full Seahawks costume and dyed green hair for a team that didn't have a pick in the top fifty-five picks. Exactly, that's a great point. That uh, that is awesome. And then I I thought. You know, I was never really a big fan of Roger Goodell, but in the last couple of years, I think last year's draft, the way he insisted on having it and the way that he did it, I think um, he's kind of reinvented himself and and with particularly with NFL fans. And I I'm <laughs> I I'm converted. I I really have a different appreciation for him now. But I thought it was so cool he brought his chair from, from New York and, you know, and had the super fans sit in the chair as he came up to make the pick. And 
Well, my favorite joke from that. I love the person in the in the marketing room, like in the the PR in the in the marketing room. It's like you know what would be a great idea. Let's bring the chair. And we'll put the chair there and we'll let yes. Pumpkinhead from the Browns sit in the chair and create this viral photo of Pumpkinhead shaking hands with Roger Goodell. Like, Correct. let's make that a possibility. And I love that whenever a trade happened, they had to kick a fan out of the chair and go get another fan to go in the chair whenever they traded Exactly. The yep. Yeah. And uh, so all of that was just really well done and, you know, it's it's uh, and I like the way they can move the venue now, and and cities are all kind of you know lining up for it. Um, you know, it's certainly a treat for the local people, and certainly a boon to the their economies. I was about uh, to say drafts in Vegas next year. I'm going to be fully inoculated. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the experience. <laughs> are you going to go? I don't, I don't know yet, but I know it's in Vegas. That's only a, that's an hour and a half plane flight. That ain't the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Get your tickets now, man. Uh, that, that would be a fun one. I mean, the pandemic kind of neuters it a little bit, but obviously this year you couldn't get in, but I, I'm thinking about it. The draft, it'd be fun to go to one of those things, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to soak all that in. And yeah, I, I, I think it would be amazing. Um, yeah, I can imagine that would be awesome. Kind of a bucket list experience. Yeah, you can't get into the Super Bowl, but hey, the people people like this more than the Super Bowl, according to engagement on social media, is that people like checking out the NFL draft just as much as the Super Bowl for some strange reason. Well, what the strange reason is is everybody's O and O now, and it's a new year, and. Yeah, it's, it's built on hope for every fan base, even if you've got, well, I guess not the Rams. The Rams didn't have anything. But for most of the fan bases, it's built on hope. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, with a salary cap and the way things are going, and I mean, I don't know, still understand how the Tampa Bay Bucks can get their roster of all-star players at virtually every position and deep at every position re-signed and under this shortened cap this year. I don't know how in the world they're pulling that off, but. And then they got to the draft and they just said, ah, bleep it. We're just gonna, we're just gonna get Kyle Trask and put him on the practice squad for a couple seasons. Well, and that's the mistake the Cardinals made when they had our Arians was they didn't draft a quarterback to get him ready for when Carson Palmer was going to retire and, Cost the Cardinals a few years, yeah, a couple well, years. They ended, up, they ended up ending that dynasty for them because they went all the way down to the number one pick after a couple of years. They did, and you know, but fortunately, then we were able to get our quarterback. And but before we go, I want to ask you a question um, that I've been mulling over quite a bit. Who's better at running their drafts, the NBA or the NFL? Uh. The NFL has made it more of an event, I do have to say, but the NBA draft, hmm. I think I'd go NFL, but I think that the NFL has more invested in it than the NBA. The NBA makes it a cool event, and they were doing that before the NFL even got to that point. The NBA draft has been this kind of cool event going all the way back to like the 1990s, so... 
I, I would say the NBA, they just haven't found something new yet. Like they, they used to do a little traveling road trip with the NBA. Like one year it'd be in Detroit, one year it'd be in Philadelphia. And now it's in Brooklyn all the time. But I'd say the NFL has, has kind of grown over the years. So I would say this newer iteration of the NFL supersedes the NBA. But the NBA, their draft experience is pretty cool too. And the one thing I'd like the NFL to add is that if people who don't get invited to the draft, just have them like sit in the crowd like they do in the NBA, and then they can come walk up from the stands and shake the, the commissioner's hand. I think if they added that in the NFL, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, um, very much so. Mike, the thing that would be fascinating to me is um, I kind of like the lottery because I don't like all this tank for Tua. You know, every year the tank, the tank guys are out. Um, well, I agree with that, is that the lottery does incentivize a little bit of parity for sure, because then you don't have teams – I mean, the, the, the overall thing, though, is that even if you're giving them a 25% chance, teams are still going to tank. The only way to get rid of tanking is to get rid of the draft system altogether, which I have a fun idea for that, which is just that you do you do slot money and then have free agency post-draft, is that, you know, the Jaguars get $20 million and the Jets get $17 million, and then you go down the list and you can sign players out of, high, out of college. Well, that you mentioned a, another change that I would love to see is the draft come before free agency like they do in the NBA because yeah. um, it, it's it, – and, and do away with compensatory picks because I think that's really rotten for veteran um, NFL players who get looked over, you know, glossed over because teams don't want to sign for fear of losing a compensatory pick. Um, I don't think that's fair to the, the players. I also don't think it's fair that if a team doesn't manage its cap properly, they get rewarded when they lose a player. You know, every team should have the same scenarios. And, you know, you, you know, it can't, you can't make it so easy to lose a player. Um, is what I'm saying, and I don't think that's fair. You know, I, it it kind of sticks in my craw every year to see the Patriots getting third round comp picks, and you know, people who teams that are winning Super Bowls left and right, because it's not just the pick itself. It's now when you can trade comp picks. You know, the more picks you have, the more flexibility you you can you have to work the draft by trading up. So you, that's yeah, those, a, those yeah. third round picks are more valuable than they were when they created the compensatory system. It's just exactly. that because draft picks are now so valuable in terms of currency in a post money ball world where you want to get as many hits at the board to determine like that's your best chance of succeeding is no one knows more than anyone else. So you want to get as many hits at the board as possible. All of a sudden compensatory picks are way more valuable than when they were initially created. Yes, and um, you know I, I equate comp compensatory picks to the electoral college. I mean, it, it's it's just a it's a crack in the system that you know the more 
successful teams have exploited and it's, it's enabled them to keep them, you know, um, at the top of the standings longer than normal. Um, because or at the very least, when they lose a big money free agent, they're at least compensated for losing that big money free agent instead of signing them themselves, having them fail, and then now they're in cap hell or cap purgatory or whatever it is. Like sometimes it doesn't work out. Like the Patriots got a second round pick for Chandler Jones, and very clearly that did not work out for the Patriots. But it oh, does yeah, usually it did. work out. Yeah, it did though. They got Joe Tooney. They got Joe Tooney with that pick? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that he was that part was of the, nice. Yeah, I mean, they got – it was the, you know, the pri- prize of this year's free agency. Ooh, that actually Ooh. did. That, I mean, it wasn't as total a loss as I used to think it was, but that's still – ooh, that's actually a nice little thing for the Patriots. Yeah, and I, I just think everyone should manage their cap the way you're supposed to, by the rules. Um, and – you know, then we'll see parity. Then we'll see even more people watching the draft because the worst to first kind of Cinderella stories could happen left and right. But more, more so than they, is, more so than they already do. The league is dominated by you know um, guys who, who teams who know how to work the system and are profiting off of you know. Um, in my opinion, an unfair rule of co- compensatory picks. When <laughs> I guess that's why football is America's game. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Although baseball last year was so cool to see Tampa Bay. Yeah. yeah a, a small market team. You know, their average attendance was like the average attendance now. On a regular and the, they're the nerds. They spent, I think, five times less than – there's so many fun raised stats from last year. I mean, they're fun, yeah. but it's also like they're just the nerds. They spent five times less than the Yankees and beat the Yankees in the playoffs. Their right. entire roster was making less than Garrett Cole made last season. Um, their best player in the playoffs, Randy Arozarena, made $90,000 last year. <laughs> like, yeah. there's, there's fun raised stats all over the place. And then they win the American League. and get so close. And then the offseason, what do they do? They trade they trade their ace. No. They lose. Now, again, they go back to being a small market team that can't afford to keep their own players. That one seemed it's to be bad. about the smarts of it, which is like Blake Snell's 30 and aging. But I'm a Padres fan, and I'll tell you what, Blake Snell doesn't look like he's aging yet. <laughs> That's right, baby, and Padres are a major market team. Yes, we have a new owner who's actually spending money because we have a good team now, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you and the Dodgers. Oh, my gosh. That last you- that last week was just too intense. Those 10 days of Padres-Dodgers was way too intense for my liking of April baseball. I was like, oh, my gosh, I just want this to end. Like, oh, my gosh, this is way too intense. Because if the Padres lose six or seven, six out of seven in that series, they're not catching the Dodgers any chance in the division. And then they had two miracle comebacks to win four out of seven and keep a shot at the division alive in April. <laughs> uh, okay, so as we leave, give me your 
offensive rookie of the year and your defensive rookie of the year? Hmm. Well, offensive, I think I'm tempted towards the quarterbacks, even though I think Justin Jefferson should have won it last year. Um, right. I will go. I will go. Oof. I'll say. Uh, I'll go Trey Lance for offensive rookie of the year, only because I think the 49ers will win the most games over the you know six and ten Jaguars and the five and eleven Jets. Yeah. And I will go defensive. This is tough because there weren't. There's not like a guaranteed guy like Chase Young where you're like, yeah, he'll probably win it. Um, right. You know what? I will say Quiddy Pay. I will throw Quiddy Pay out there. Wow, great for the Colts. Yeah, because wow. he'll be an immediate starter. That's he's basically replacing Anthony Walker, so he'll be an immediate starter. So I'll roll with Quiddy Pay and. Uh, Darius Leonard and those bad boys in Indianapolis. You love their Colts, boy. It always, our conversations always come around to those Colts. Yes, I need a Darius Leonard jersey. I only have a Patrick Mahomes jersey. I think I need to get a Darius Leonard jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, I have Trevor Lawrence. See, that was the that was the obvious pick, and I was like, yeah, no. But I think that. You know they've he'll um, he'll hit the league by storm. Um, yeah. I want to say Zach Wilson, but um, I'm not sure he has enough around him yet. Um, whereas I think that Trevor Lawrence may, um, particularly with their running backs. And the good um, news for the Jaguars is that the Jaguars know they are going to be at least third place in the AFC South. The Jets are uh, the Jets are in a tough division. <laughs> yeah, they are. And, you know, uh, but I think Wilson's going to be fun to watch. Uh, you know, that whole, all these young quarterbacks are going to be fun to watch. I mean, there's, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, and that's something that, very exciting um, for the league and for those teams, uh, you know, Brings them hope. Defensive player of the year. Um, I I have a feeling, just a, a gut, gut feeling, that it's going to be Jeremiah Wosu Karamoa. Interesting. That and would be fascinating. He's going to be on a very good defense in Cleveland. He got snubbed. I mean, there's no way he shouldn't have been a first-round draft pick. So he'll have the chip on his shoulder. I think he's going to fly around and make plays, and people are going to be like, wow, this kid's amazing, which you know, he's got the talent to do. We'll see what happens. Yep, and to be fair, that's a, that's a big thing about these Rookie of the Year awards is who's going to get a chance to play right away. It's why uh, – Jeremy Chin ended up second in Rookie of the Year in the NFC or yes. out on the Panthers last year. Who gets to play immediately? And uh, the only other middle linebacker on the uh, on the Browns, I believe, is Taki Taki. So Wusu Karamo is going to get a chance at some point, I would guess. Oh, I think he'll be a starter day one. 
Yep. All right, then. Yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, I appreciate your hour and a half here on a Sunday. Well, Monday when people are listening to this, but still Sunday. Um, this is fun. And uh, some great Walter Mitchell stories that uh, the, the trademark stories that I guess are just, you know, they're fun to hear about, you know, calling Mel Kuyper and gambling, <laughs> gambling away your life savings at 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and learning a good lesson, lifelong lesson about it. I, yeah. I recommend it to everyone. You know, protect your money. Yes, especially so, now because gambling so. is all over the place, and stock markets all over the place. My, <laughs> I, I find the stock, I find cryptocurrency funny in that same way because the same people talking about cryptocurrency are the same people who were very into sports gambling. <laughs> It there seems go, like man. a lot of this is like gambling for nerds is a lot of, it's a different form of gambling. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, Although I did, I did make 10 times my initial investment on Dogecoin. <laughs> oh, good. Good for you. Yes. I, w- I only good wish time. I'd put more in, but I knew eventually the internet would turn it into a meme. You had that right. Yes. Imagine if my baby boomers would have gotten in on McDonald's in an early age. Yep. There's all kinds of rolling in it now, boy, or Microsoft. Yeah. Amazon, Target, all kinds of these. Amazon. Wow. That was another. Yep. Amazon uh, was bookstore. That was always way above my, my level of intelligence. So, yeah, I don't think anyone, I think few people could have seen the visions on this. So, Yes, just believing in it. Crystal ball. Yes, or a real belief in what some of these people were doing. Yeah, and a real belief in coffee and donuts. That too. That too. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, Walter. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. You too, Little Rock. You go (laughs) get them, man. San Diego State. I'm just so proud of your guys. And, you know, I think. Good things are going to happen, particularly with the, your Padres. We're getting to it. The Padres are exciting. I am going to the game finally. It's my first time in 700 days because they're coming to San Francisco. So finally, I get to watch the Padres again. <laughs> in one of the greatest sports venues known to mankind. Yes. The that uh, baseball formerly park. AT&T Park. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Enjoy. All righty, Walter. Have a great week. Great. Talk to you soon, buddy. That we will. Okay. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.